Section seventeen of the Chouans by Honoré de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter three B. A small resinous torch soon cast a bluish and uncertain light over the cellar. In spite of the romance with which Mademoiselle de Vernoy had invested the groined roof that rang with the sounds of agonized entreaties, she was compelled to recognize the fact that she was in an underground kitchen which had been long unused. Thus illuminated, the shapeless mass took the form of a short, stout person whose every limb had been carefully tied, but who seemed to have been left on the damp flags of the pavement without any other precaution on the part of those who had seized him. At sight of the stranger, who carried a light in one hand and a faggot in the other, the prisoner gave a deep groan which wrought so powerfully upon Mademoiselle de Vernoy's feelings that she forgot her own terror and despair, and the frightful cramp which was benumbing her doubled-up limbs. She could scarcely keep herself still. The Chouan flung down his faggot upon the hearth, after assuring himself of the solidity of an old pot-hook, which hung down the whole length of a sheet of cast-iron, and set the wood alight with his torch mademoiselle de vernoy then recognized not without alarm the cunning pia miche to whom her rival had assigned her his form lighted up by the flames looked very like one of the tiny grotesque figures that germans carve in wood a broad grin overspread his furrowed and sunburnt face at the wails that went up from his prisoner you see he remarked to the sufferer that christians such as we are do not go back on our words as you do this fire here will take some of the stiffness out of your legs and out of your hands and tongue too but hold on i do not see a dripping pan to put under your feet and they are so fat that they might put the fire out your house must be very badly furnished when you can't find everything in it to make the master thoroughly comfortable when he is warming himself at this the victim uttered a piercing shriek as if he hoped that his voice would rise above the arched roof and bring someone to his rescue sing away as much as you like monsieur d'orgemont they have all gone to bed upstairs and machater is coming he will shut the cellar door as he spoke piamiche wrapped the butt-end of his carbine over the mantelpiece the flags on the kitchen floor the walls and the stoves trying to discover the place where the miser had hidden his gold the search was so cleverly conducted that d'orgemont did not utter a further sound he seemed possessed by the fear that some frightened servant might have betrayed him for though he had trusted nobody his habits might have given rise to very well-grounded suspicions from time to time piamiche turned sharply and looked at his victim as in the children's game when they try to guess from the unconscious expression of one of their number the spot where he has hidden a given object as they move hither and thither in search of it 
Dorgemont showed some alarm, for the Chouan's benefit, when he struck a hollow sound from the stoves, and seemed to have a mind to divert Piamiche's credulous greed in this way for a time. Just then three other Chouans came running down the staircase, and suddenly entered the kitchen. Piamiche abandoned his search when he saw Marcheterre, flinging a glance at Dorgemont with all the ferocity that his disappointed avarice had aroused in him. "'Marie Lambroquet has come to life again,' said Marcheterre, with a preoccupation that showed how all other interests faded away before such a momentous piece of news. "'I'm not surprised at that.' answered Piamiche. He took the sacrament so often. He seemed to have le bon Dieu all to himself. Aha, remarked Menabien, but it is of no more help to him now than shoes to a dead man. He did not receive absolution before that business at La Pellerine, and there he is. He misguided that girl of Gogelus, and was weighed down by a mortal sin. Besides that, the abbe Goudin told us that he would have to wait a couple of months before he could come back for good. We saw him go along in front, every man jack of us. He is white and cold, and he flits about. There is the scent of the grave about him. And his reverence assured us that if the ghost could catch hold of anybody, he would make just such another of him, the fourth Chouan put in. The wry face of the last speaker aroused Marcheterre from religious musings prompted by the newly wrought miracle, which, according to the Abbe Goudin, might be renewed for every pious champion of religion and royalty. Now you see, Galop Chopin, he said to the neophyte with a certain gravity, what comes of the slightest omission of the duties commanded by our holy religion? St. Anne of Auray counseled us not to pass over the smallest faults among ourselves. Your cousin, Piamiche, has asked for the surveillance of Fougere for you. The gar has entrusted you with it, and you will be well paid. But you perhaps know the sort of flour we need into bread for traitors? Yes, Monsieur Machetaire. Do you know why I tell you that? there are folk who hint that you have a hankering after cider and round pence but there is to be no feathering of your nest you are to be our man now with all due respect monsieur Machetaire, cider and pence are two good things which do not anywise hinder salvation if my cousin makes any blunders said piamiche it will be for want of knowing better no matter how it happens cried marcheterre in a voice that shook the roof if anything goes wrong i shall not let him off you shall answer for him he added to piamiche if he gets himself into trouble i will take it out of the lining of your goatskins but asking your pardon monsieur marcheterre galop chopin began hasn't it often happened to you yourself to mistake contre chouin for chouin my friend replied marcheterre in a dry tone of voice do not let that happen to you again or i will slice you in two like a turnip 
those who are sent out by the gar will have his glove but since this affair at the vivetiere the grande garce fastens a green ribbon to it piamiche jogged his comrade's elbow sharply pointing out dorgemont who was pretending to sleep but marcheterre and piamiche knew by experience that no one had ever yet slept by the side of their fire and though the last remarks to galop chopin had been spoken in low tones yet the sufferer might have understood them so all four of the shuans looked at him for a moment and no doubt concluded that fear had deprived him of the use of his senses suddenly marcheterre gave a slight sign piamiche drew off dorgemont's shoes and stockings menabien and galope chopin seized him by the waist and carried him to the hearth next marcheterre took a band from the faggot and bound the miser's feet to the pot-hook all these proceedings together with the incredible quickness of their movements forced cries from the victim which grew heart-rending when piamiche had heaped up the glowing coals under his legs my friends my good friends cried dorgemont you will hurt me i am a christian as you are you are lying in your throat answered marcheterre your brother denied the existence of god and you yourself bought the abbey of juvigny the abbe goudin says that we may roast apostates without scruple but my brethren in religion i do not refuse to pay you we gave you two weeks and now two months have passed and galope chopin here has received nothing then you have received nothing galope chopin asked the miser in despair nothing whatever monsieur dorgemont replied the alarmed galop chopin the cries which had become a continuous kind of growl like the death-rattle of a dying man began afresh with extraordinary violence the schumanns were as much used to this kind of scene as to seeing dogs go about without shoes and were looking on so coolly while dorgemont writhed and yelled that they might have been travellers waiting round the fire in an inn-kitchen until the joint is sufficiently roasted to eat i am dying i am dying cried the victim and you will not have my money violent as his outcries were piamiche noticed that the fire had not yet scorched him it was stirred therefore in a very artistic fashion so as to make the flames leap a little higher at this dorgemont said in dejected tones untie me my friends what do you want a hundred crowns a thousand ten thousand a hundred thousand i offer you two hundred crowns his tone was so piteous that mademoiselle de verneuil forgot her own danger and an exclamation broke from her who spoke asked marcheterre the chouans cast uneasy glances about them the very men who were so courageous under a murderous fire from the cannon's mouth dared not face a ghost piamiche alone heard with undivided attention the confession which increasing torments wrung from his victim 
Five hundred crowns. Yes, I will pay it, said the miser. Pshaw, where are they? calmly responded Piamiche. Eh? Oh, they are under the first apple tree. Holy Virgin! At the end of the garden, to the left. You are bandits. You are robbers. Oh, I am dying. There are ten thousand francs there. I will not take francs, said Marcheterre. They must be livres. Your republican crowns have heathen figures on them. They will never pass it is all in livres in good louis d'or but let me loose let me loose you know where my life is my hoard the four shoemans looked at each other considering which of their number could be trusted with the errand of unearthing the money but just then their ferocious cruelty had so revolted mademoiselle de vernoy that although she could not be sure that the role assigned to her by her pale face would still preserve her from danger she cried bravely in a deep tone of voice do you not fear the wrath of god unbind him you savages the shoemans looked up they saw eyes that shone like stars in mid-air and fled in terror Mademoiselle de Vernoy sprang down into the kitchen, ran up to Dorgemont, and drew him from the fire with such energy that the faggot band snapped. Then, with the blade of her dagger, she cut the cords with which he was bound. As soon as the miser was liberated and stood on his feet, the first expression that crossed his face was a dolorous but sardonic smile off with you he said go to the apple tree brigands oh this is the second time that i have hoodwinked them and they shall not get hold of me a third time just then a woman's voice sounded outside a ghost cried madame de Gois. a ghost idiots it is she a thousand crowns to any one who will bring that harlot's head to me mademoiselle de vernoy turned pale but the miser smiled he took her hand drew her under the mantelboard of the chimney and saw that she left no least trace of her passage by leading her round in such a way that the fire which took up but a little space was not disturbed he pressed a spring the sheet of cast iron rose and before their foes came back into the cellar the heavy door of their hiding-place had slipped noiselessly back again then the fair parisian understood the carp-like struggles which had been made by the luckless banker and to which she had been a witness you see madame cried marche a terre the ghost has taken the blue for his comrade great must their alarm have been for such a dead silence followed his words that dorgemont and his companion could hear the shoeans muttering ave sancta anna auriaca gratia plena dominus tecum and so forth the simpletons are saying their prayers exclaimed dorgemont are you not afraid said mademoiselle de vernoy to her companion of making known our hiding-place 
the old miser's laugh dispelled the parisian girl's fears the plate is set in a slab of granite ten inches thick we can hear them but they can't hear us he then gently took the hand of his liberatress and led her towards a crevice through which the fresh breeze came in whiffs she guessed that this opening had been contrived in the shaft of the chimney Dorgemont began again the devil my legs smart a bit that filly of charrettes as they call her at nantes is not such a fool as to gainsay those faithful believers of hers she knows very well that if they were not so besotted they would not fight against their own interests there she is praying along with them it must be a pretty sight to see her saying her ave to saint anne of Ore. she would be better employed in plundering a coach so as to pay me back those four thousand francs that she owes me what with the costs and the interest it mounts up to quite four thousand seven hundred and forty-five francs and some centimes over their prayer ended the Shuans rose from their knees and went old dorgemont squeezed mademoiselle de verneuil's hand by way of apprising her that nevertheless danger still existed no madame cried piamiche after a pause of a few minutes you might stop here for ten years they will not come back but she has not gone out she must be here persisted charette's filly no no madame they have flown right through the walls did not the devil once before fly away from here with a priest who had taken the oath under our eyes you are a miser as he is piamiche and yet you can't see that the old niggard might very probably spend some thousands of livres in making a recess in the foundations of these vaults with a secret entrance to it the girl and the miser heard the guffaw that broke from piamiche very true he said stay here madame de goix went on lie in wait for them as they come out for one single shot i will give you all that you will find in our usurer's treasury if you want me to pardon you for selling that girl after i had told you to kill her you must obey me usurer said old dorgemont and yet i only charged her nine per cent on the loan i had a mortgage it is true as a security but now you see how grateful she is come madame if god punishes us for doing ill the devil is here to punish us for doing well and man's position between these two extremities without any notion of what the future may be always looks to my thinking like a sum in proportion wherein the value of x is undiscoverable he fetched a hollow-sounding sigh which was peculiar to him for his breath as it passed through his larynx seemed to come in contact with and to strike two aged and relaxed vocal cords the sounds made by piamiche and madame de goix as they tried the walls the vaulted roof and the pavement seemed to reassure dorgemont 
he took his liberatress's hand to help her to climb a narrow spiral staircase hollowed in the thickness of the granite rock when they had come up a score of steps the faint glow of a lamp lighted up their faces the miser stopped and turned to his companion looking closely at her face as if he had been gazing upon and turning over some doubtful bill to be discounted he heaved his terrible sigh when i brought you here he said after a moment's pause i completely discharged the obligation under which you laid me so i do not see why i should give leave me here sir i want nothing of you she said her last words and possibly also the contempt visible in the beautiful face reassured the little old man for he went on after a fresh sigh ah when i brought you here i did too much not to go through with it he politely helped marie to climb some steps arranged in a somewhat peculiar fashion and brought her half willingly half reluctantly into a little closet four feet square lighted by a lamp that hung from the roof it was easy to see that the miser had made every preparation for spending more than one day in this retreat in case the exigencies of civil war compelled him to make some stay there don't go near the wall you might get covered with white dust dorgemont exclaimed suddenly as he thrust his hand hastily between the girl's shawl and the wall which seemed to be newly whitewashed the old miser's action produced an exactly opposite effect to the one intended mademoiselle de vernoy looked straight in front of her at once and saw a sort of construction in a corner a cry of terror broke from her as she remarked its shape for she thought that some human being had been put there in a standing position and had been covered with plaster dorgemont made a menacing sign imposing silence upon her and his own little china-blue eyes showed as much alarm as his companions foolish girl cried he did you think i had murdered him that is my brother he said and there was a melancholy change in his sigh he was the first rector to take the oath and this was the one refuge where he was safe from the fury of the shuans and of his fellow priests to persecute such a well-regulated man as that he was my elder brother he had the patience to teach me the decimal system he and no other oh he was a worthy priest he was thrifty and knew how to save he died four years ago i do not know what his disease was but these priests you see have a habit of kneeling in prayer from time to time and possibly he could never get used to the standing position here as i myself have done i put him here otherwise they would have disinterred him some day i may be able to bury him in consecrated earth as the poor fellow used to say for he only took the oath through fear a tear filled the hard eyes of the little old man 
his red wig looked less ugly to the girl who turned her own eyes away with an inward feeling of reverence for his sorrow but notwithstanding his softened mood dorgemont spoke again do not go near the wall or you he did not take his gaze off mademoiselle de vernoy's eyes for in this way he hoped to prevent her from scrutinizing the partition walls of the closet in which the scanty supply of air hardly sufficed for the requirements of breathing yet marie managed to steal a glance round about her undetected by her argus and from the eccentric protuberances in the walls she inferred that the miser had built them himself out of bags of gold and silver in another moment dorgemont was seized with a strange kind of ecstasy the painful smarting sensation in his legs and his apprehensions at the sight of a human being among his treasures were plainly to be seen in every wrinkle but at the same time there was an unaccustomed glow in his dry eyes a generous emotion was aroused in him by the dangerous proximity of his neighbor with the pink and white cheeks that invited kisses and the dark velvet-like glances so that the hot blood surged to his heart in such a way that he hardly knew whether it betokened life or death are you married he asked in a faltering voice no she answered smiling i have a little property he said heaving his peculiar sigh though i am not so rich as they all say i am a young girl like you should be fond of diamonds jewelry carriages and gold he added looking about him in a dismayed fashion i have all these things to give you at my death and if you liked there was so much calculation in the old man's eyes even while this fleeting fancy possessed him that while she shook her head mademoiselle de vernoy could not help thinking that the miser had thought to marry her simply that he might bury his secret in the heart of a second self money she said with an ironical glance at dorgemont that left him half pleased half vexed money is nothing to me if all the gold that i have refused were here you would be three times richer than you are don't go near the wall and yet nothing was asked of me but one look she went on with indescribable pride you were wrong it was a capital piece of business just think of it think that i have just heard a voice sounding here broke in mademoiselle de vernoy and that one single syllable of it has more value for me than all your riches you do not know how much before the miser could prevent her marie moved with her finger a little colored print representing louis the fifteenth on horseback and suddenly saw the marquis beneath her engaged in loading a blunderbuss the opening concealed by the tiny panel over which the print was pasted 
apparently corresponded with some ornamental carving on the ceiling of the next room where the royalist general had no doubt been sleeping dorgemont slid the old print back again with extreme heedfulness and looked sternly at the young girl do not speak if you value your life it is no cockle shell that you have grappled he whispered in her ear after a pause do you know that the marquis of montauran draws a revenue of more than a hundred thousand livres from the rents of estates which have not yet been sold and the consuls have just issued a decree putting a stop to the sequestrations i saw it in the paper in the primidi de l'île et vilaine ah the gars there is a prettier man now is he not your eyes are sparkling like two new louis d'or mademoiselle de vernoy's glances had become exceedingly animated when she heard afresh the sounds of the voice that she knew so well since she had been standing there buried as it were in a mine of wealth her mind which had been overwhelmed by these occurrences regained its elasticity she seemed to have made a sinister resolve and to have some idea of the method of carrying it out there is no recovering from such contempt as that she said to herself and if he is to love me no more i will kill him no other woman shall have him no abbe no cried the young chief whose voice made itself heard it must be so my lord marquis the abbe goudin remonstrated stiffly you will scandalize all brittany by giving this ball at st james our villages are not stirred up by dancers but by preachers have some small arms and not fiddles abbe you are clever enough to know that only in a general assembly of all our partisans can i see what i can undertake with them a dinner seems to give a better opportunity of scrutinizing their countenances and of understanding their intentions than any possible espionage which is moreover abhorrent to me we will make them talk glass in hand marie trembled when she heard these words for the idea of going to the ball and of there avenging herself occurred to her do you take me for an idiot with your sermon against dancing montauran went on would not you yourself figure in a chaton very willingly to find yourself re-established under your new name of fathers of the faith do you really not know that bretons get up from mass to have a dance do you really not know that messieurs ide de neuville and Doninet had a conference with the first consul five days ago over the question of restoring his majesty louis the eighteenth if i am preparing at this moment to venture so rash a stroke it is only to make the weight of our iron-bound shoes felt in these deliberations do you not know that all the chiefs in la vendee even fontaine himself are talking of submission 
ah sir the princes have clearly been misled as to the condition of things in france the devotion which people tell them about is the devotion of placemen abbe if i have dipped my feet in blood i will not wade waist deep in it without knowing wherefore my devotion is for the king and not for four cracked-brained enthusiasts for men overwhelmed with debt like Rifoel, for chauffeurs and say it straight out sir for abbes who collect imposts on the highways so as to carry on the war interrupted the abbe goudin why should i not say it the marquis answered tartly i will say more the heroic age of la vendee is past my lord marquis we shall know how to work miracles without your aid yes like the miracle in marie lambrequin's case the marquis answered smiling come now abbe let us have done with it i know that you yourself do not shrink from danger and you bring down a blue or say your oremus equally well god helping me i hope to make you take a part in the coronation of the king with a mitre on your head this last phrase certainly had a magical effect upon the abbe for there sounded the ring of a rifle and he cried i have fifty cartridges in my pockets my lord marquis and my life is in the king's service that is another debtor of mine the miser said to mademoiselle de verneuil i am not speaking of a paltry five or six hundred crowns which he borrowed of me but of a debt of blood which i hope will be paid in full the fiendish jesuit will never have as much evil befall him as i wish him he swore that my brother should die and stirred up the district against him and why because the poor man had been afraid of the new laws he put his ear to a particular spot in his hiding-place all the brigands are making off he said they are going to work some other miracle if only they do not attempt to set fire to the house as they did last time by way of a good-bye for another half-hour or thereabouts mademoiselle de verneuil and d'orgemont looked at each other as each of them might have gazed at a picture then the gruff coarse voice of galope chopin called in a low tone there is no more danger now monsieur d'orgemont my thirty crowns have been well earned this time my child said the miser swear to me that you will shut your eyes mademoiselle de vernoy laid one of her hands over her eyelids but for greater security the old man blew out the lamp took his liberatress by the hand and assisted her to descend seven or eight steps in an awkward passage after a few minutes he gently drew down her hand and she saw that she was in the miser's own room which the marquis of montauran had just vacated you can go now my dear child said the miser do not look about you in that way 
you have no money of course see here are ten crowns clipped ones but still they will pass when you are out of the garden you will find a footpath which leads to the town or the district as they call it nowadays but as the chouans are at fougeres it is not to be supposed that you could return thither at once so you may stand in need of a safe asylum do not forget what i am going to tell you and only take advantage of it in dire necessity you will see a farmhouse beside the road which runs through the dale of gibarry to the nidocroc big cibot called galop chopin lives there go inside and say to his wife good day becanière and barbette will hide you if galop chopin should find you out he will take you for a ghost if it is night and if it is broad daylight ten crowns will mollify him good-bye our accounts are squared if you liked he added with a wave of the hand that indicated the fields that lay round about his house all that should be yours mademoiselle de vernoy gave a grateful glance at this strange being and succeeded in wringing a sigh from him with several distinct tones in it you will pay me back my ten crowns of course i say nothing about interest as you note you can pay them to the credit of my account to master patra the notary in fougeres who if you should wish it would draw up our marriage contract fair treasure good-bye good-bye said she with a smile as she waved her hand to him if you require any money he called to her i will lend it to you at five per cent yes only five did i say five but she had gone she looks to me like a good sort of girl dorgemont continued but for all that i shall make a change in the secret contrivance in my chimney then he took a loaf that weighed twelve pounds and a ham and returned to his hiding-place end of section seventeen